Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Welcome to the Intercooler Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 187 of the Intercooler Podcast with me, Dan Prosser and Andrew Frankel, my co-host. Um, this week we are talking about our worst ever car journeys. Bad car journeys, either because of the conditions or the company or the car or whatever else, visibility. Maybe we got nicked. Um, we've, we've both had some fairly miserable car journeys over the years. Um, I think there's some funny stories in there though. Before we get on to that, we also talk about the new McLaren 750S. Andrew's been driving that in Portugal, um, and we talk a little bit about some motorsport stuff, including the Braun GP documentary on Disney Plus at the moment. Um, before we get started, though, I will just remind you all to subscribe to the podcast or follow the podcast, whichever app you're using. There'll be a button that says subscribe or follow. Just press that. It really helps us, um, and it means you don't miss an episode. So thank you for doing that, and enjoy this one. Before we get into our worst ever car journeys and dredge up some very unhappy memories, Andrew, um, <laughs> I've got a few things that I want to discuss with you first. And to get us started, this news story broke just this morning. I read it I don't know, 20 minutes ago and I was really surprised. And I just wanted to get your thoughts because it, it's interesting, right? So Cali Rovan Perra is the reigning world rally champion yeah. um, and he won last year as well. So he's a double world champion. He is, I mean, he, he's the best driver out there at the moment, I think. You know, it's not like he lucked into two world championships. He won, he, won, he earned both of them. Yeah. He is a stellar talent. He's 23 years old. Yeah. 23. He's not defending his title next year because he's only doing a part-time campaign. Why is that? To, to have a break. So what, is he burnt out or...? Sounds like it, doesn't it? Says he wants a break, he wants to do some other things, he wants to take some time to recharge his batteries, that's a direct quote, I think. Um, but at 23 years old, it's surprising, isn't it? Oh, I always wonder with things like that, whether there's something we don't know. Because, um, hmm. you know, at 23, you're... 
I mean, I, I mean, I know it's a very, very even you know rallying. I mean, Formula One's a very intense business, and you know, I know that the drivers always enjoy their sort of Christmas break breaks. But they, it's strange, isn't it? I mean, do you think he's one of these guys who? You know, he's incredibly good at it without particularly enjoying it because you do get those. You do get you know people who um, mm. who drive racing cars unbelievably fast, but aren't particularly into cars. It's just something they can do. They, they, these things just become a sort of a vessel, a way of them expressing their talent. And if you know if they, if they don't need the money and they don't particularly enjoy doing it, and they're not the sort of person who's after the fame and adulation, then maybe you could just say, "Well, you know, I've done that. You know, I think I've made my point." Um, I'm going to toddle off for a bit. Possibly. I mean, he's... So he is going to be back full-time in 2025 and 26, I think. Um, so it's, you know, it, it's only a, a sabbatical, I suppose. Um, but he... The curious thing about Cali Rovan Perra is that he's very young, 23, but he's been competing full-time for a good six or seven years. Yeah. And <clears throat> he's Harry Rovan Perra's son. So he started rallying at, you know, not competing, but driving rally cars at eight years old. So yes. it's been his life for a very long time. Are, are they the Joss and Max of the rallying world? That's what they are. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. what they are. Yeah. Um, sure. I may be displaying a certain lack of, uh, of knowledge <laughs> of the rallying world here. but No, actually, it's, the, the similarities are striking. You know, Harry, Rovenpera, and Jos Verstappen never achieved a great deal in their yeah. chosen discipline, but they had these sons who were ferocious talents and won everything very young. And, was, and has Harry been as, how can we put this, um, robust with Kelly as Jos was with, Matt, with Max? I, I don't know, to be honest. I don't know. It doesn't show. If yeah. he has been, it doesn't show. Kelly seems a very well-rounded young man. Um, but I, well, he, <clears throat> he's, he talks about next year, maybe he'll do some other rallying. I could see him in a Mark II Escort somewhere um, doing some historic stuff. He talks about doing some drifting, competitive drifting. So I think, actually, it's, it's not that he doesn't enjoy driving it's that he loves driving so much he wants to do other forms of it which is interesting he may also just be one of these curious fellows who has a life <laughs> i imagine that imagine that yeah and he may just think well actually you know i've done that i'm a bit next um you know it's it's been a hard grind and i've been up against it and there's this level of expectation on my shoulders which i just don't want for a bit i'm sure i'll miss it i'll sure want to come mm. back and i'll be i'll come back i'll be the grand old age of 25 i'll come back keener and hungrier than ever mm. um it could be a really smart move it could just it? go away you know just clear his head do some skids for a year come back and you know, knock it out the park again i think yeah, absolutely and fair play to him for being honest with himself and if he's not enjoying it if he's finding it a grind rather than worrying about what people will think or worrying about his legacy or reputation just going i'm having a break i'll come back soon yeah. Good lad. Yeah, good lad. Good. Um, okay, let's clip along a little bit, because <clears throat> last week we published your review of the McLaren 750S. Oh, yeah. Um, and that is still live on the Intercooler app and website, um, The essentially a facelifted 720S. Um, well, don't, let, don't let McLaren hear you say no, that. Uh, no, okay, sorry. Sorry, McLaren. <laughs> but, but, but it is. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, I don't want you to review it in detail here, because that's, it's elsewhere if people want to yeah. go and read it. But, I mean, just as a very short pricey it sounds like they have made it sharper and more aggressive when you want it to be yeah but still civilized when you don't yeah. maybe not quite so civilized but still very yeah. broadly defined. i mean it, it's one of those i mean I, I mean it's not something that you know that, that i try to hide i like the way mclaren build their cars uh, mm. i just always have um you know they are just dedicated to the sorts of things that interest me and the way they you know the way that they are so obsessed with keeping the weight down the way they refuse unlike everybody else to go and 
do electric power steering. Mm. These sorts of things, you know, the way they look at ergonomics, they have nothing on their steering wheels. You know, their glass houses are like goldfish bowls because they realise it's actually quite important to be able to see out of a car when you're doing those sorts of speeds. I just, I just like the engineering philosophy behind the way they build their car. So I was really interested to get in this because some may know I had a 720S for a while um, a few years back. Uh, I'm not mine, obviously, but uh, one of those sort of short, long-term things. Um, and I, I just thought it was the greatest supercar of its era. And the 750S, it does exactly what you say it does. Um, despite, I mean, the detail of the change, they basically changed everything uh, mm. while keeping the fundamental you know, structure and architecture and everything else. But the steering and the suspension and the brakes and the tiny bits of weight shaved off here and there cars always get heavier during midlife upgrades don't they this one's got lighter Not this one yeah yeah um and it was already a ridiculously light car to begin with i mean it's nearly 200 kilos lighter than a 296 gtb which is its true rival even though that's got a v6 three liter hybrid and the 750s doesn't anyway um so what they have done is well certainly what they aim to do and what in my view they achieved was to keep that I want to drive this car every day because it just so works works so well in almost anything I want to do with it bit, while at the same time just making it harder and sharper and faster and, frankly, madder at the other end. Um, and the only thing I would say is it's, it's like all these cars. You know, I had I wrote on the... On the, web, on the app on the website about living with a 296 GTB, I think, week before last, or last week. Mm. Um, last week and yeah. exact, exactly the same thing goes for the 750S and all cars. Like, you just... They are so much faster than the environment in which you always almost find yourself in with those cars. Mm. They are so much faster. <laughs> they are, um, they are. And we were incredibly lucky. You know, McLaren just laid on Esteril and a truckload of Trofeo R's. So it didn't matter. But that's mm. not life, is it? Well, it might be if you're in that league, I guess. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, you know, it meant we were able to understand and experience the full envelope of what it could do it is extraordinary the way that thing handles i mean the fact that it's even faster to me is neither here nor there because you can't really use it and and actually unless you had a 720s next to it you wouldn't be able to feel it both are just explosively absurdly fast but the way it handles the way you can i'm not talking about doing big skids or anything like that but the way you can just minutely steer the car with you know just frankly altering a tiny bit of pressure out the big toe on your right foot and you can feel in quick corners and you can see the car adjusting its attitude according i mean that to me is driving that is what to me it is all about and i just yeah that i absolutely love and it rides and you can see out of it and yeah um yeah i mean i think i mean i've read a few of the other reviews that come in i haven't had i haven't come across anybody who um is a bit disappointed they can still do it can't they they can still do it, yeah. I think the only thing that I would um, I would question is they've given it the final drive um, of the 765LT, which is about 10% shorter, mm. because they want to give it even more punch in the gears, make it even more urgent. I don't really think it needs it. It's got so much punch. Mm. And what you lose is that wonderful you know, ability just to sort of cruise down the motor. I can remember driving the 720S to Geneva and back, um, with one day in between each journey and just loving the way it would amble down the motorway doing, you know, 30 to the gallon or whatever. Um, and in the 750S, I kept on pulling for an eighth gear, which wasn't there. Mm. It does seem a shame, doesn't it, to take away that little bit of Because what are you, because what are you actually gaining? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. It's still ferociously fast, isn't it? It doesn't ferociously, need that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway. <clears throat> right. Okay. That's it. Move on. So, but what, well, quickly, what's next for McLaren, though? Because, I mean, this is the last of its type, isn't it? We're not going to have another V8 non-hybrid well, okay. McLaren, they, we, I asked them the question, and they said this is the last, um, yeah, sort of conventional, unadorned V8 production car. And I said, mm. what do you mean by a production car? And there was a bit of a sort of a nod and a wink. So I suspect there'll be a couple more specials, but they'll, they'll be limited edition. I mean, no, I think, I think we, I think what we're expecting is, um, 10 years on, maybe even more, because it won't be, I don't think we'll see it until sometime next year, but there's got to be a new P1. Um, yeah. And we've had, you know, other, you know, ultimate series cars like the, like the Elva and like the Senna and the Speedtail, but it's, it's definitely time for a new P1 type car. So a car which is, 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 is a hybrid, um, is an aero monster, a technology showcase for what they can do. Um, and I think my, my informal understanding is that'll probably be the first of the hybrid V8s. Um, well, I say the first hybrid. I mean, obviously, you know, the P1 was a hybrid V8, as was, as was the Speedtail, but that'll be the first of this sort of new generation. New gen, then, yeah, and yeah. then I suspect <laughs> that'll start to trickle down. And then whatever, I imagine, all new car replaces the 750S in whatever it'll be, three, four years' time, will we'll use whatever that platform yeah. is. And, of course, it will, unlike the 750S, um, it'll be based on the Artura platform, the one built oh. by McLaren mm. um, in Sheffield. Mm. Yeah, of course. Well, actually, talking yeah. of Artura, presumably there are variants of that coming along. Uh, I, I guess so. I guess so. Mm. I guess there will be an Artura LT at some stage. Um, I don't know. I don't know. There will be. Will there be an Artura Spider? I guess so. Surely. I mean, they, they've done those of all the others, haven't they? Yeah. I mean, I, li- I literally have no idea. Mm. Um, but okay. yeah. Um, so you've been away for a week. You're only just back in the saddle this morning. So I don't know yes. if you saw any of the Las Vegas Grand Prix. So I listened to it on on Five Live uh, with Johnny and Palmer and my one-time former teammate Alice Powell, uh, who I thought did a cracking job. Um, but I really felt I was missing something. Mm. It was a good was one. It, was it ridiculous? I don't know, was it ridiculous? No, it wasn't ridiculous. I mean, um, <clears throat> action-packed. It was dramatic it was tense good racing for the lead really good racing for the five five changes of of, of lead yeah Yeah, fantastic some people said it was the best grand prix of the year which is really pushing it that's not true um but it it was a very good race and we do worry don't we when we go to these places and the circuit clearly isn't well it's a street circuit it's not designed for grand prix cars and you just think right well we're going here because it's an entertainment capital of the world is going to get a load of eyeballs, but the racing is going to be horrendous. And actually, <clears throat> you could probably say that about the Miami Grand Prix. It hasn't produced a good race in two attempts. Um, and I, you worry that Vegas is just going to be much the same. I mean, it, you wouldn't have seen this, but it looked amazing on television because it's yeah. at night. It's in, that, it's in Sin City. You know, It looks amazing. But, <clears throat> and the circuit isn't phenomenal. It doesn't show a Grand Prix, off, Grand Prix car off. Um, in its best light, like it's a quick, Silverstone it's quick though, or a Spa. Isn't it? Yeah, ve- yeah, very quick, long straights and little fiddly sequences. Yeah. Yeah. But it means they can race. It allows them to race. There's, there's yeah. width, there's space, so they can race. Um, and that just seems like the most important thing, actually, of a, any, any place that we go racing Formula One cars. You just want the drivers to be able to jostle yeah, the position. But, but there's, got, there's, got to be a, there's got to be a balance, and that's why circuits like Spa. See, I think that you need longer circuits because you have to have it all. You mm. have to have, 
you know long straights you know you need slow corners into long straights so you know so you so, so cars can follow each other onto the straight and overtake at the end of them but if it's all just straight break hairpin straight mm. hairpin straight then with what you were saying you need to be you, it, one of the joys of watching it is just watching formula one cars in high speed corners with that little g dial you know say sort of four and a half five g or whatever and yeah. I, I love that so yeah was it um did all the razzmatazz because I was kind of only just sort of occasionally going on my phone and looking at the latest headlines, and I know that Max got heroically cheesed off of the whole lot, and other people were going, we're going to say, get a sense of humour. Yeah. Was the Rasmataz, did it overwhelm it? Did it get in your nerves? Or did you just think, oh, go with it, it's all part of the show, it's Vegas? So I had half an eye on that stuff, you know, in the build-up, but <clears throat> because the race was so early, I set my alarm for just before 6am, and by the yeah. time I got a cup of tea and I was in front of the television... They were on the formation lap. So I really didn't see a great deal of the build-up immediately before the race. Yeah. Um, I switched it off pretty soon after. So, you know, the point being, you can avoid that stuff if you're not interested or if you think it detracts. Um, I'm sure a lot of it was a bit daft. You know, the announcements that they had this big um, event, I think on the Wednesday, maybe the Thursday, where they revealed the drivers coming up on these platforms. So a lot of that stuff is pretty OTT. But... You're going to get that, aren't you? You're going to yeah. get that there. And actually, what I ultimately what I think is, as long as it is authentic, I can kind of deal with it. If they try to do all that stuff at the Hungarian Grand Prix or something, you just think, what is this? <laughs> but it's, yes. it sort of fits, doesn't it, Vegas? It, it, it's inevitable. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, to a very small extent, if they didn't do that, if they literally just held the motor race there you'd be thinking well that's a missed opportunity mm. yeah you would yeah yeah it's, it's gonna so, happen so, and... so basically they, 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 they can't win someone's gonna get stuck into them come what may yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but the, the important point was it was a very entertaining grand prix so bring on Excellent. next year's race <clears throat> um okay right last thing i want to talk about and um what tell me actually if you're planning to watch the braun documentary braun the impossible formula one story Yes. Have you seen that advertised? Have you? I've seen. I've seen it advertised. Yeah. Yes, it's the Keanu Reeves thing, isn't it? Have you? It's on Disney Plus. If you've got Disney Plus and you're planning to watch it, I I'll don't. save this. Okay, fine. Well, you you might need to consider getting it. Is it that good? It's the best thing I've watched this year. Bloody hell! And actually, I was. Do they just, do a one month free subscription, which I can then cancel? They might do. We do. <laughs> they might. Um, it, but even if it costs you six quid or whatever, do it. It's really good. Um, and actually, just reflecting on it, there are probably a lot of people, purist, old-school Formula One fans, who kind of resent the mainstreamification of F1, the Netflix documentary, all the stuff going on in Las Vegas last week. But what it does mean is that we get documentaries like this one, the Braun documentary, that have exceptional production values, that have, yeah. they go to extraordinary lengths. There's a story told over four hours, um, and you don't get that with a, a sort of minority sport, you know, you don't, you, that doesn't happen. So at least now with Formula One being so big, we do get to enjoy things like this. Did you, um, did you, did you learn a load of stuff that you didn't know? Unbelievable amount. Uh-huh. Unbelievable. So you learn everything. And the best thing about it is everyone seems to be very candid. Uh, and it's, <clears throat> it's not just about what went on on track. If you think back to that year, there, were the, there was the whole FOTA thing, the Formula One Teams Association, where they yeah, were threatening yeah, yeah, to split away. Yeah. Um, and I, what I remember of that 
when it was actually happening all those years ago was that it seemed quite dull and it, you know lots of politics and I just wasn't terribly interested. Actually now, now that everyone reveals exactly what was going on, it is fascinating. Same with the double diffuser saga. Um, it is fantastic. And people speak so candidly. Luca de Montezemolo says several times that he's still convinced the double diffuser was illegal. He reveals exactly what happens in the photo stuff. And Ross Braun and Nick Fry reveal exactly what was said in their private meetings with Bernie Eccleston. Exactly okay, how much money it. they were owed. It's, it is amazing. And uh, what is what is? I mean, forgive me. I'm going to be showing my ignorance again here. Uh, when I think of Keanu Reeves, I think of him, Sandra Bullock, and a bus. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think he was in a series of films called The Matrix. Yes. I also once saw. A, I once saw somebody took some, hope, some a, a, a video on their telephone of him giving up his seat on the New York subway to an old lady, which I thought was nice. Anyway, um, <laughs> but beyond that, that is. I think that is the absolute extent of my Keanu Reeves knowledge. Is he the producer? Is he the presenter? What, what is, is he in it? He, oh, he's very much in it, yeah. And he, okay. he does the interviews. He does the interviews um, with, with everyone. And he's very good. He, does he? Does he know he, what he's he, talking about? He doesn't have the sort of encyclopedic knowledge of F1 yeah. that even you, know, you would have or someone who's been watching it for a very long time would have. He's full of enthusiasm for it, though, and he understands okay. enough. But he, he has this sort of boyish persona and the, this passion for racing, that really comes through. So he does it really well. And, of course, because he's Keanu Reeves, the interviewees respect him. You sense yeah. that. This is John Wick. This is Neo from The Matrix. It's also Ted from Bill and Ted. But, you know, he has the respect <laughs> of the people that he's talking to. And so people do divulge. So it's, so it's not just... So, you know, when, when I saw that he was, to some extent, involved, I just thought, well... It's a bit of a niche product, so we better put a big Hollywood name in there to give it wider appeal. But it's not that. I don't think. I think it came about more organically than that. I think he heard the story, um, couldn't believe it, looked into it, and thought, "Oh, so this a is film. his thing. This isn't. He hasn't just been hired to do this. No, no. not okay. as far. Well, it doesn't seem that way at all. Okay. But the one of the best things about it is that they they appear to leave no stone unturned, and they talk to everybody. If you're making a documentary like this, about this story, you think, well, you, need, you definitely need Ross Braun. Yeah. You definitely need Jensen Button. Rubens. You need Rubens if he'll fly across the, the Atlantic. You need, who do you need? A couple of others. Bernie, if you can. They talk to everyone. They've got Christian Horner, Luca de Montezemolo. They've got Bernie. They've got the PR people. They've got Nick Fry, the CEO of the Braun GP team. They've got engineers. They've got mechanics. They've got Anthony Hamilton, Lewis's dad, apparently wow. just to give a father's perspective because John Button, Jensen's dad, isn't with us anymore. Yep. So they, they really do talk to everybody. In fact, the only person missing, the only sort of significant character missing, um, as far as I could tell, was Sebastian Vettel, who finished runner-up that year. But they have got everybody else. So it is the definitive telling of that story, that year, um, and everything else that <clears throat> happened during that season. Um, and actually, it made me think that what are Formula One's greatest ever stories? And a few come to mind. I think maybe Fangio's last win at the yeah. Nürburgring. I think the 1988 Italian Grand Prix yeah. and the circumstances around that. I think Nicky Lauda in 76. Yeah. These are great Formula One stories. But for me, the Braun story is F1's best story. And I guess the end of 2021, whatever side of the fence yeah. you're on. Yeah, that's up there, isn't it? That's one of them. Yeah. Gotta be. Gotta be. Got to be. Um, cool. Right, that's it. That's six quid to Disney+. Plus. There you go. 
It, no, it is fantastic. And if, and if it's rubbish, I'll be asking you for a refund. Uh, we can, because we've spoken about it on the podcast, we can expense it, can't we? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Worst car journeys. Yeah. Yes. I've, the- um, I, I've racking my brains about this and I've definitely had a lot of boring journeys, um, which don't make for good podcast fodder. But I've, I've got a few. Um, I reckon you've got a handful, there, haven't you? Oh, I've got I, I've got as I've got as many as you like. Um, I'm just trying to think. Well, okay. Have you ever been in a a journey which you thought you were going to absolutely? I'll give you an example of this. Um, adore. You couldn't think of a reason what in the world why you weren't going to adore it, and nothing untowards happens. Everything goes completely according to plan, and yet you absolutely hate it. I've not had that, no. Okay. So in 19... God. 89? 90 at the latest. I was still pretty junior on autocar. And we decided to do this story. I think it's quite a good story, actually, about driving from Lansdowne to John O'Groats in three different sorts of sporting cars. One was a thing called the Vauxhall Nova GTE. Ooh, what a machine. You, I, I, I'm reckoning you were... What were you? Three at the time? Something like that? Yeah. Four? Yeah. Thereabouts. Okay. Um, a Peugeot 405 MI16. Ooh, nice. And a Lotus Esprit Turbo SE. Wow. Okay, now the Esprit Turbo SE was the one, it was the, at the time, it was the powerful one. It had a 264 horsepower version of that um, classic Lotus twin cam engine. Um, and the idea was that we would, all the cars would leave together. And the destination was John O'Groats, and it was, and then we'd have a kind of a bit of a chat when we got there about how much fun we'd all had, how much faster you know each car was over the other, and is it really worth spending ten times as much on the spree as it is on a Nova GTE? That was the story, and I thought it was quite mm. a good story. Mm. Uh, and I don't know how I managed to swing this, but I got the Lotus. Yeah, so I just thought this is going to be absolutely incredible. Yeah, um, and it was awful. <laughs> for one reason and one reason only the seat was you, know, you think a lamborghini hurricane has dodgy seats i mean compared to that oh. esprit turbo and i you know so we left land's end i reckon i was in pain before plymouth oh my god um, you're still on the and, south coast <laughs> yeah and it was it and it just went on getting worse and worse and worse and it was but you know, I, I was you know, I was having to you know, stop at the side of the road, get out of the car, walk around it. I was sharing it with David Vivian, 
um, who is, you know, quite a lot shorter than me. And I think he was kind of okay, but I was just doubled up in agony. And, and the terrible thing was that at the end of that journey, all I wanted to do was get out of that car. Mm. And when, you know, and when we had you know, done everything we were going to do in Scotland and, you know, we had to decide who's going to drive the car, which car back to London. I think I ended up in the Nova. <laughs> I'd, have taken, I'd have taken the bus rather than get back in that latest. <laughs> do you know, it's, it's just, it's just it's, funny that one little yeah. thing could completely ruin yeah. a great drive. I hated it, yeah. Did you, was it, did you go direct were you, on the motorways? Or were you, did you yeah, try no, make we, it a bit we, more we, 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 went, we went direct, but of course, so, um, yeah, so it was motorways all the way up to Scotland. But of course, this was back in the day when, you know, the A9 wasn't a sort of, you know, a mm. police revenue raising um, stretch of road and you could, and you could really get your clog down. Um, and so, you know, I was so desperate to get out of the thing. I really did get my clog down up there and we, you know, we, we did some proper motoring in it. So it wasn't just, you know, don't forget when you do land into John O'Groats, I, I think most time wise, I think most of the journey takes part, takes place in Scotland. Yeah. Yeah. You, you go across the border and a part of you thinks, Ooh, we're almost you're there. And then there you look now, at them. And you're not. Yeah. You're not. So, um, yeah. So, so that was, you know, that was just an example of, you know, of, you know, and the, and the problem was I looked forward to it for so long, yeah. so much. I was so revved up and ready to go, and I hated it. I do remember after an Evo Car of the Year um, <clears throat> up in Scotland. Only the where were we? Oh no, it was North Coast Five Hundred, so we're quite a long way up. Um, and I was handed the GT3 RS to drive all the way back to Bristol in. So it's almost not far off. Uh, Land's End John O'Groats is it and it had those cu- fixed back carbon buckets yeah which you know they're okay for a few hours but for what was it 10 hours or something pretty horrendous yeah it's not what you want no not at all so yeah uh, the wrong chair can make a, an otherwise good drive pretty terrible. what about the wrong person in the car with you <laughs> I thought you might go there oh I've got so many I've got so many are you going to name any st- no <laughs> no well actually quite a few of them aren't motoring journalists so they wouldn't mean anything to anyone anyway so there mm. was a i once drove from where i lived in wales uh with my then girlfriend now wife um to an army base in germany when we used to have those things um because she had a friend who was married to a bloke um who was in the army and they asked would you mind if you brought this other person out. <laughs> I hadn't met this other person. Um, otherwise, I would, have found, I would have found an excuse. We had a Citroen XM 24-valve, a 3-litre 24-valve Citroen oh, XM. Good car for a long drive, though, isn't it? Yeah, it was actually, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, it wasn't, yeah, and it didn't break down, it didn't break down at all. Um, <laughs> well, no, I, I only say that because this was auto cars long-term and it had broken down an awful lot and I was worried about it, but it didn't. Um, but you know what it's like when you do a drive like that? Um, and I'm very lucky because my missus gets this completely. You get in a car and you've got an interesting destination to get to. So you just bloody get there. Yeah. Don't faff out. And this person <laughs> wanted to stop. I can remember them saying after about two hours, oh, I'm a bit tired. Would you mind if we stopped? It, as if they'd been driving the bloody car. <laughs> they'd been sat in the back, yakking incessantly yeah. about goodness knows what. And they just wanted to stop again and again and again. And um, my fear, I think we invented a journey. Because obviously the problem was that they wanted us to take, to take her back again. Mm, oh. <laughs> 
and I just wasn't having it. No. And I think I think we I don't know what we did. I mean, maybe we said, "Oh, terribly sorry, we're going to go to Italy or something." Um, or we're going to hang around for you. We, well, whatever. We, we, we made it impossible. So I mean, some poor other sod who'd gone to the same party had, um, took her back. Um, yeah, I mean, it's. I just like driving on my own. Um, oh, it's the, lovely, isn't it? It, it? it is the. I think I've said this before. There was um, when I had that 720s I was talking about earlier on, on that trip to Geneva. I was talking about actually, um, and I was having uh, a curry with um, with some friends and just sort of raving about this wonderful journey out that I've had. And one of them said, oh, actually, um, I'm meant to be flying back tomorrow, but that sounds like fun. Can I come back with you? I just said, no. <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh, I've got so much luggage. Uh, I, can, you know, I can barely get my own stuff in. I certainly wouldn't yeah. be able to get you and your stuff in it. Um, so I'm, I just lied. Yeah. yeah. I just thought, I don't want, and it was a good mate of mine. I, I just thought, I just don't want anybody in the car. I certainly don't want to share the bloody driving. It is. It's, okay, so the thing about a very long drive on your own is that that's all you have to do that day. You, you don't be have to be such a selfish bastard, can't you? Yeah, and, and you don't have to be making phone calls or on email or checking this and that. That's all you have to do that day. There's something so calming and peaceful about that. Um, but you don't really get it when you're with someone else. Um, so <clears throat> I remember almost 10 years ago coming back from a snowboarding holiday in Austria. It was actually a music festival crossed with a snowboarding holiday. Um, not much sleep, extremely tiring week, very boozy. Um, we're in a Range Rover Sport, a press car, four well, of us, my, yeah. me and my three best mates in the world. Um, great car for that sort of journey, but it is Austria to Bristol in a day is... Whereabouts in Austria were you? I don't know, in the mountains somewhere, I can't remember. Okay. But it's a good 14 hours or something probably. Yeah, yeah. It's absolutely. a long old day. Um, and you're feeling worse for wear. That is a fairly sort of daunting drive. It's a punishing journey, that one. <clears throat> I drove first, and then I swapped with a mate. We pulled into a service station. He knew he had to drive for a good few hours. So he got a big coffee, threw it back, um, and he started driving. The trouble is, he's quite sensitive to caffeine at the best of times. And he was really quite worse for wear after the week we've had. He started feeling a bit shaky. we're on on the German Autobahn and we go into roadworks and the roadworks, the lanes on the German Autobahn in roadworks are very narrow. It's quite disconcerting actually, particularly when you have to go past a lorry, it's not very nice Um, and as we're going past the big Arctic, very narrow lanes, he had a full-blown panic attack. While driving? While driving. Ooh. It was awful. He just couldn't drive the car. You can't stop because you're on a busy Autobahn so I had to reach over, take the steering wheel, Bloody and just hell. steer us. Steer us all the way until we got to a service station. Steer us in. He pulled us to a stop. And that was that. That was, that was fairly exciting. Bloody, that would scare me. Mm. I've never had, I've never had, thank goodness I've never had anything like that. I have had to wake someone up before. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. Um, but those really, really long journeys... To me, it's kind of like all about how they start. I can remember I did a job, oh, I don't know when it was, 12 years ago. Uh, I, I don't know, maybe more than that. I, whatever it was, but anyway, I went to Colditz Castle, mm. um, which is in the southeast of Germany. Um, I think that I, it's very, very near the Czech, Czech border. It's a long, bloody way from mm. anywhere. 
Um, and I went out with a um, brilliant photographer who I don't see nearly enough of because he lives in Germany called Tom Salt. Um, and we went out there. We did an amazing photo shoot with this car. Um, and I, yeah, we woke up in the morning. I spent the night in Colditz um, because you can because it's a yeah. youth hostel. Wow. Um, and got on this XKR that we had, Jaguar. And all went well to begin with um, because Tommy was in the car, but I dropped him somewhere, maybe Munich, can't remember. Anyway, but it was still a long, long way from home. Then it was suddenly just me on my own. And I got into the car, got onto the autobahn, and saw a car park in front of me. People out of the cars, having a chat, you know this isn't going to be a short one. And you have basically, your entire day, because you're tired, because you, you know, you've driven all the way out there, you've been working while you're there, and you just think, it's all right, because tonight I'm going to sleep in my own bed. Mm. And <sighs> actually, I did, but it, I got back so, so late. The other one of those, which I probably mentioned on this podcast before, um, was one of the senior directors of the publishing company that owned Autocar. Um, his father had died and they'd, he'd left an Audi Quattro in the south of France. So he'd driven this original sort of, what was it, a sort of mid-80s Quattro to the Geneva Motor Show where I'd just gone because it was the Geneva Motor Show and I was working there. And he was going to drive it back to the UK, but he got bored of it. Uh, and so he came up to me and said, can you drive this car back to the UK? Yeah, no problem at all. Delighted. Um, and I got one of my mates who was one of the autocar road testers and we got in this thing and we drove out of Geneva up to the border where there was a bloke standing in front of the car. Um, passports, passports. What's that on the back seat? When we looked on the back seat and there was a big rug on the back seat mm. and he said, what's under the rug? Um, and I said, no idea. So, and there's basically an old master, a sort of, you know, it wasn't a Rembrandt, but it looked like something like that on the back seat of this car. Oh my God. Uh, yes. At which stage they went, hmm, I think you guys better be coming with us. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so they took us to the police station. They impounded the car. They impounded the, the painting. Brilliantly, they impounded the rug as well because they thought that might be worth something. <laughs> and we were there for hours and hours and hours. We, I, did I have a mobile telephone? It was a long, long time ago. Can't remember, but I know we made one call to this bloke and went, you know, you've got to dig us out of this. You've mm. got us into this. You've got to dig it out. Um, and it took hours and hours. And eventually, this was when I was living in London, um, they let us go. They kept the painting. They kept the rug. And I just thought, I'm just going to drive this car as fast as I possibly can. I don't care. And so <laughs> I basically drove a Quattro flat from Geneva to <coughs> London, almost hoping I'd blow it up because <laughs> it would serve him right. Yeah bloody thing didn't break um and we got back and i can remember getting into the office the following morning and he left a bottle of the cheapest possible whiskey you <laughs> could find on my desk for all my troubles <laughs> thanks mate oh brilliant did you ever find out if the painting was worth anything no no i mean he wasn't the kind of bloke that i had a relationship he's one of the yeah. sort of high ups people on the fourth floor or whatever mm. who you know had their own private washing facilities and you know have conversations like that with people like me mm. i was just a means of getting his car back to to london I think <clears throat> the worst journeys are where you're a passenger with a driver that you don't really trust. And <clears throat> we have spoken about this before, where you are... The mistake you make is being too bloody British to say anything yes. before there's a, an issue. Yes. 
It's so foolish, so foolish. But I've done it a couple of times. Um, uh, one was on the Range Rover Sport launch, which was based out of Cheltenham. Um, and you went through South Wales all the way up into North Wales, into the back round into the Cotswolds and back to Cheltenham. So it was a long old way. <clears throat> and I was sharing with a, another journalist who was driving. We are on these very, very narrow single track lanes not very well sighted lanes in the middle of Wales somewhere and he's just going so fast and I, I couldn't believe how quickly he was going given the visibility you know every time and you're, came th- up, and you're thinking if one thing comes around that corner yeah. that's it there's no ifs or buts we're mm. having a, a crash the only question is how big and they happened come around oh, the corner God. far too quickly there it is a Subaru estate car <laughs> driving at us it stops because it's going <laughs> at a sensible speed we <clears throat> If maybe the driver deserves a bit of credit here, I don't know, but he swerved left down into a ditch, up the bank on the other side, and it was such a violent impact the whole thing. I thought, I thought we'd crashed. I thought we'd hit the car. I thought we'd destroyed the Range Rover Sport we were in. I remember sitting there thinking, "Wow, that's the first crash I've ever been involved in at work on a work yeah. thing." Um, he got out. I mean, the other the family in the other car were absolutely livid. Their dogs were so startled. Um, that was probably the worst part of it. And then I eventually got out, looked around this Range Rover Sport, and just thought, it's unmarked. It is unmarked. So, he, goodness me, he got lucky. Um, did he but, calm down after that, or did you just say, I'm driving? No, he, he, he definitely calmed down. Yeah, he definitely calmed down. Do you, do you think he was showing... I mean, I don't get it. I get it a bit with certain journalists, but I'm so careful who I drive cars with these days. So, yeah. I mean, the first thing I ever do when I accept an invitation to go and drive anything anywhere yeah is i ring up i did this with mclaren actually uh, and very happily they we all were able to have a car to ourselves but i just ring up and go who's going mm. if you mm. need me to share with someone i'm arranging that in advance mm. and if you don't like that i'm not coming yeah um yeah <clears throat> it's um yeah because you you just honestly if you find yourself with a driver who's trying to show off or driving well beyond their capability if you do that too often Eventually, you'll just go, I've had enough of this business. I'm going to go do something else. Because it is awful. I had another one on the MX-5 launch a few years ago in Northern Ireland. <clears throat> nice lad, another journalist, really liked the guy. Decent driver, but on this occasion, just going far too quick. Um, showing, showing off, trying to prove to you that... Showing he, that... off, being a road tester. You know, <sighs> trying to demonstrate that he was one of those guys. Um, <clears throat> and this is what you... You can spot it in people. They think the most important thing in that moment is to demonstrate their ability, their skill. And it's not. They've got it so wrong. The most important thing is to get a reputation for being a safe pair of hands. Yeah. Someone that you're glad to share a car with. He he was going really, really quick on this fast, fast flowing road, damp. Um, And there's a big drop down to the left-hand side. And we... come up to this sort of undulation in the road just as it kicked right and we dropped down into the compression the car the, the road went right he steered to go right the cards ran out of grip and we had this massive esp moment one way a massive esp moment the other way you know where oh. it goes and if thank goodness he hadn't turned the systems off if he had done and it's a it's a short stretch of a, with a finger isn't it to turn that hit press that button turn the systems off because you're a hero and that's 
that's the done thing when you're a road tester. If he'd done that, we'd have been off the road, probably beyond 60 miles an hour, and probably curtains. Um, God. And after that, I, I did. I did have a word, several words, and he, he slowed it down. But, I, yeah, I, I think having had an experience, a couple of experiences like that, if I found myself in that position again, I would just go, do you know what, if you want to drive that way, that's fine. I'm getting out and I'm waiting for the next car. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And we, we have all found ourselves in that situation. I've talked about one quite recently, so I won't go into it, about some idiot in a Ford street car who n- nearly killed a load of cyclists while I was in the car. Um, yeah. And it's just... I mean, if, if you're driving a car and you've got people in the car, the only thing that matters is their comfort and safety, mm. clearly. I mean, mm. to me, that is so blindingly obvious, it shouldn't need to be said. Mm. I mean, w- what I do do is if I'm sharing cars with people, and I've done this before, if you get to a, you know, sometimes you get this on launches, you'll drive down the motorway, and then there'll be a particularly tasty bit of really twiddly road. Mm. Um, and, you know, with certain drivers, I won't, because I trust them so much, it'll be absolutely, I know it'll be absolutely fine. With certain others, you can say, well, I've got an idea. Um, I'll just stand here for the next 20 minutes. You do 10 minutes out, 10 minutes back, and then you stand here for 20 minutes. I'll do 10 minutes out. And then I don't get scared. You don't mm. feel constrained by mm. having to you know think about whether i'm about to throw up or anything and everybody wins and any sensible journalist will go fine and i've done that a few times and it works terribly well but there is just there is nothing in the world well there clearly is um but in the routine cause of mm. what we do than sitting next to someone who's trying to prove a point oh horrendous <laughs> yeah. can i can i tell you the worst journey i've ever heard of this isn't a car journey, it's a coach journey. And I wasn't on it, and I only heard this story earlier this year, but it fits into this category. Remember in 2010, the Icelandic volcano, the unpronounceable yep. Icelandic yep. volcano that <clears throat> erupted in April that year, and it grounded. There was a huge ash cloud, yeah, and it grounded all the flights. Yeah. Um, it perfectly coincided with Rally Turkey, the Turkish round of the World Rally Championship. Um, flights grounded <clears throat> at the end of the event, the M Sport Ford mechanics couldn't fly home. So M Sport put on a coach for them from Istanbul all the way back to Cockermouth in Cumbria. Oh my goodness. It's 2,200 miles. Um, and of course, the drivers, I don't know if they have a taco like a HGV driver, but they're limited in terms of the number of hours they can do a day. Um, so it took several days to drive back <sighs> from Istanbul on this coach. Um, <clears throat> motorsport mechanics by and large are a particular sort slightly maybe slightly feral but they're, they're young blokes mostly right essentially on tour unsupervised yeah um, <clears throat> and so they decided that the thing to do to get through this awful coach journey was just to get loads and loads and loads of beer on board and get heroically drunk for the whole thing there's no toilet but they said a bucket would do Oh, and they're not staying in hotel rooms; they're just sleeping in the coach each night. And they're on this thing for days. And it just occurred to me that even when they got across the channel into Folkestone or Dover, they still had the length of the of England to go to get back up to Cockermouth. Wouldn't that just be utterly horrendous? <laughs> Imagine the state of that coach after several no, days. No, thanks. It would be was rolling down the aisle. I mean, it doesn't bear thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. uh, I've, I've been trying to think, because I'm, I'm, I'm aware we're sort of, um, we're getting towards um, 
timing out here. Yeah. But I've been trying to think of the worst. And, you know, I mean, clearly there have been journeys where, you know, I've ended up in a ditch. And, you know, so that's clearly not yeah. a good journey. There was a journey I can remember. I think fog is the thing that scares me most on a road. Oh. Yeah. <coughs> More even bizarrely than black ice. And I can remember the first time I ever went to meet... Um, Again, my then girlfriend, now wife's parents. Um, we were in a BMW 850i, um, and they lived. In fact, they still do um, out in the sort of wilds of Herefordshire, um, and trying to get to them. And uh, in the back roads, we're only probably only about five miles away from where they lived, having to stop the car because it was so thick. I literally could not see. It was mm. dark. I, it was not safe to drive an inch, and so we just parked and thought, "Well, what do we do now?" And then it must have lifted a bit or whatever. But I could just be so scared because you know, I could have just driven I could have, you know, driven into a field or a tree or off a yeah. cliff or whatever. And I would never have known until it, until it had happened. Mm. Um, but I think, the, I think the journeys, there are a couple of journeys, both in Fords, um, one of which I've talked about. Um, I think the worst journey I ever did was the last leg of the Mondeo Marathon with Autocar. Me and my fellow contributor, Steve Sutcliffe, um, did 2,326 miles in 24 hours and a, four, and a 1.6 litre Ford Mondeo yeah, in that, France. that is unbelievable. And that is the most uncomfortable because, I mean, you know, thank goodness Steve is, you know, a world-class driver. Mm. Um, and if there was ever anyone I would trust to do that with, it would have been him. But it's interesting because you're driving that car absolutely at the limit of what it would do. And this was 30 years ago. I never do anything stupid. Uh, like that again it was just because we knew because we were trying to do 12,000 miles in a week we weren't trying to see how many miles we could do in 24 hours we were trying to do 12,000 miles in a week and we just happened to have to do 2,326 miles to be able to do that by the end of the week so we knew there was a target and unless we drove that thing as fast as it would go and really really you know for instance you know at, at every fuel stop one person would fuel the other would pee and then they come out you get a thumbs up you pay you go and so you only got to pee every other fuel stop but then mm. we're getting through it so quickly and, and and stuff like that and we made it by 90 seconds and i can just remember <laughs> we parked up at the side of the road in boulogne having been round france one and a half times just thinking to myself that was i wasn't even pleased that we'd done it that we'd made mm. the point where i think i was just so so pleased that it was over the other ford marathon was about four or five years after that autocar decided they're going to do another for when the focus came out when the mark one focus came out they thought they needed another stunt so, <laughs> so they decided to i can't actually remember how many laps it was but they decided to do and maybe it was twelve thousand miles in a week on the m25 oh whose idea was that I don't know. It wasn't mine. It wasn't mine. And and and, and actually, it, okay, it wasn't it wasn't frightening because you can't drive flat around the M25 because you know you'll mm. you'll get banged up. You know, we were doing you know seventy five miles an hour, what everybody else was doing, but you're just going round and round in circles. <laughs> well, I mean, that is utterly mind numbing, surely. Well, I mean, that was the problem. It was, I, yeah. I think it was actually, in retrospect, probably quite a dangerous thing to do because mm. it was so... You weren't going anywhere. Mm. It's a hamster wheel. Mm. You know, you can't think, oh, well, yes, you know, you literally... I mean, God, I think we all sort of met at 
I don't know, I was about to say Cobham Services, but they wouldn't have existed then. There was some service station which we used to use as a relay point. Um, and I can't remember how many laps you had to do before you came in, but it's about 118 miles. It's a, quite, it's a surprisingly long lap, given that mm. you're just going around, you know, one city. Um, but it is remarkable how little time you have to do that when you know you're not going anywhere, you're not achieving anything before you start getting tired. Because mm. there's nothing to focus on. There's no goal. No. It's just going round and round and round. And I can remember, I, I didn't fall asleep and nobody else did either, but I can remember, you know, all the usual stuff, loud music, window down, yeah. shouting, banging, oh. your, you know, and it's just, just trying Actually, to keep yourself awake. <laughs> I was going to say that I think bad visibility probably makes for the worst journeys i've had a few of those in rain actually at night where it's raining so hard you just can't see the lanes you can't see the, yeah. you can barely see the road in front of you but actually being tired is pro- is maybe even worse um but it, it's so stupid isn't it when you're that tired to keep going it's so dumb but i think we probably all found ourselves in that position and you're well well particularly when you know quite often and this happens with me you just you know you just find yourself a bit tired and if you just pull into a service station you know, yeah. ha- have a coffee, have a pee, you know, walk about, think about it, get back in the car, and you're kind of okay again. Mm. Mm. You just need a break. It's not that you need to go to bed or anything, you just need a break from it, and uh, I'm much better at doing that now than I used to be. Mm. Yeah, that is, it's an awful thing. Um, <clears throat> there we go, terrible journeys. Have you got any more, yeah. have, or was, have we run that well dry? Well, I mean, okay, so the, 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 the last one, which was... Um, it was one of the longest days. We wanted a Corrado VR6 in the UK. Mm. The only car available was inconveniently in Wolfsburg. So yeah. I got up in the morning in London, went to Heathrow, flew to Hamburg, got a taxi to Wolfsburg, picked the car up and started driving back towards the UK. I was somewhere on a Belgian motorway when a black 325i what would it have been? E36? Something like that. Um, came past going very fast. And stupidly, I rose to the occasion. Gave chase, overtook it. And as I went past, he turned his blue flashing lights off. <laughs> it was the purest case of entrapment that there's ever been. Um, and yeah. um, so he pulled me over. Uh, it was this much money, which I didn't have. Uh, so he took my passport. We went to the police station. Um, where they discovered that the car had been authorised to be driven by a bloke called Peter Robinson, who lived in Australia <laughs> and only in Germany, not Andrew Frankel in Belgium. So they, they, they thought I'd stolen the car. I managed to find somehow, I them that hadn't happened, but they still um, said, well, you've got to pay this fine. I had no money. And they went, well, that's tough. Um, they gave me a telephone number of a taxi company and they said, well, how can I pay the taxi company? And they said, well, that's your problem. So a bloke turns up in a taxi and I said, you need to take me to a cash point. Um, I can't pay you until you've taken me to a cash point. And he went, well, fair enough. And he took me to a cash point, which didn't work. <laughs> um, and I must have taken out some money earlier that day. I'd done something. And with some reason, my card wouldn't work in any cash point. So I then had to go into a bank in Belgium somewhere and talk to the bank manager get him to ring my bank i i can't remember they gave my passport back but i was able to prove to them i was who i said i was and eventually they gave me some money and then got back the taxi bloke worked waited for me i got back paid the bloke um and yeah got back and um paid the fine got in the car and 
toddle off to the UK. That wasn't much fun. That That's wasn't a, a good pretty day. Pretty terrible journey. <laughs> yeah, you've had a few of those, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah, but you know, I've been doing it for a long time. Yeah, drive for a living. It's, it's going to yeah. happen, isn't it? Yeah. All right. Um, well, that's been a busy show, so we're not going to do a listener question this week. Um, but do keep your listener questions coming. You can send us a note on social media, if you like, or email us, info at the-intercooler.com, and ask us whatever question you want to. If it's interesting, we'll answer it on the podcast. Um, so make sure you come back next week, and we'll do it all over again. Cheers. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.